0: You're listening to Black Girl Blueprint.
1: Because Black Girls did it first. And honestly, better. Period. Period. (laughs) Hi, everyone, and welcome to Black Girl Blueprint, your fave podcast for all the Gen Z Black Girl Tea. My
0: name's Lauren. And my name is McKean, and thanks, y'all, for tuning into today's episode. So we have a highly requested conversation on the way about childhood and upbringing and our families and really just how the dynamics that were established when we were children have shaped how we navigate the world as adults.
1: Yeah, it's really, really interesting, and I've definitely been having a lot of conversations like this with my friends, um, and just talking a lot about how we take for granted how important our family relationships actually are, just in shaping who we are, and also just being like the importance of being self-aware enough to identify when our parents' influence is showing up in our lives and how it's manifesting in our relationships. So today we're just going to be doing a lot of reflecting on our own childhoods, whether that's the good parts, maybe the not so good parts and then getting into like the greater implications of what it all means for us now as adults. But you know, first we have to do our little Read the Room segment. So McKean, why don't you kick things off?
0: Yes, so for anyone who doesn't know, Read the Room is the segment that we start every show off with. And we would talk a lot about black Twitter. We talk a lot about the tea in our own lives. Sometimes we talk about the tea in y'all's lives. But today we of course are going back to our favorite grounds for content black twitter itself and we have an update on miss gorilla glue girl you probably already know this but we talked about it in last week's read the room but the woman who mistakenly used gorilla glue to slick her hair back and sort of started this whole controversy because of her mistake and people were kind of just showing once again that they hate black women in trying to blame her and all this stuff and last week we talked about how um You know, she has a GoFundMe, but also how a surgeon or a Black doctor agreed to perform this $12,000 surgery on her to, like, free her hair from the glue for free. So we have an update. Not only is her hair free now, hallelujah, but it is also, or what was it? She's donating all of the money she raised with her GoFundMe to, I think, Something hair-related, but, like, I medical. don't remember exactly what it was. <laughs> don't remember exactly what it was. But good for
1: her. I'm so glad. Also, the way people were hyping up the Black doctor, as he should. Go for him. I think I saw something. I don't know if this is accurate, but he
0: is worth a lot of money now, too. Like, this was a big deal for him. Well, I know he like invented the solution that he used to free her hair so i i don't know like he's kind of an icon for that go ahead sir go
1: ahead i hope he patents it i hope he collects his coin and better mm-hmm. on her for the donations wait i didn't see the pictures of her hair though she, she didn't have to shave any of it off it's all fine yeah,
0: now. yeah it's fine like i don't know if her hair is silky like that or if she had a, a like a texturizer or something but it did to me look a, like the texture was a little interesting But then she went and straightened it right away. Like, she has a straight bob. (laughs) I was like, Miss Ma'am, please give your scalp a
1: minute. Okay, I don't blame her. Listen, she thought she was going to be bald for the rest of her life. I will allow her to wear her little straight bob. Go for yourself, queen. I will allow it. I was really
0: dead. It was like the next day. Not even. I was like, girl.
1: I'm happy (laughs) for her. I'm good for you, Miss Ma'am. Um, people can finally stop coming for her. I'm glad she's not suing anymore. Was
0: that just a rumor? I think that was just a rumor. I don't even think that was true. Ugh. People were just trying to hate on her. Really, like, for, for no reason.
1: But do you know what I saw? So I was scrolling through Twitter today, and there were these TikToks of people who, like, well, there was a one person that I saw. Mm-hmm. And I think I was, she put Gorilla Glue in her hair to, like, test it, I guess. Yes,
0: I saw another one with a boy. I guess it is a trend. I was like
1: what is going on and then and then she was like gorilla glue asmr or whatever and i was like
0: what is happening do it too i saw the same thing in the tweet that i saw it with was like you guys are only doing this because again you don't believe black women and i know it doesn't look that deep but like basically the tweet was saying like there's no reason that you would go and put gorilla glue in your hair unless you thought that she was lying about the severity of the outcome in her situation Mm -hmm. and like now you're complaining because you're in the same situation she was in, but if you had just believed her from the first place, like, you wouldn't be doing this dumb <laughs> stuff. But also, it's just stupid. Like, what is wrong with you?
1: <laughs> trying to, like, they're the real ones who are trying to get, like, clout off of it, being like, ASMR, give me the view. Mm-hmm. Gonna start my GoFundMe now. thing, I'm just like, that's not that's not what's happening yeah, here. But yeah, I'm glad she is free. I'm glad that's over with. I hope she still manages to, like, maintain the following that she gained whatever yeah and i hope whatever she wants to do i hope they don't try to force her to be an influencer if that's not what she wants or anything like that but i hope i hope she just figures out what she because i don't really know what she was doing before any of this but she was a teacher i, I, know. I know she got five
0: kids so that's also a job I
1: kids uh-huh. i missed that i missed that update wow yeah that's why people are like girl you don't read the label okay. <laughs> and we don't judge we don't judge we don't judge we all make mistakes but good for her very very glad another thing we've been seeing a lot on twitter is this new joke that i love this like running friend with the rent was due i just think that's so funny so basically i guess what the trend is going on is you know there's a whole expression of like people singing or giving a performance like the rent is due so they have to give it their all basically in order to like make sure that they can pay the bills or whatever so people are just sending in or, like, posting their favorite performances. And I just think it's so funny. And, like, it started yeah. with, like, the rent was due, and now it's, like, the phone bill wasn't paid. There was one of a One Direction <laughs> one. It's just, like, they're coming to take the house. They're knocking on the door to evict us. You got to perform. I'm, like, what is going
0: on? <laughs> I, okay, so what what is your go-to, like, what performance comes to mind for the rent being due? Oh. Does it have to be a performance, or can it just be a track? Ooh.
1: I don't know. I usually think about it in the context of a performance just because it's like, I don't know. In my head, I'm thinking of like club singers or whatever, trying to like pay the bills for the next day. Mm-hmm. What performance do I think of? Mm-hmm. Ooh. I'm just trying to think of what my favorite live performance in general
0: is. That's important. I have a few that come to mind. Go ahead. You can go first. You go first. First one is that Destiny's Child performance of Cater to You, and I forget all of the celebrities on the stage, but it was when they were wearing those brown dresses. I know. What and you mean. They we're like giving lap dances to three different. I think one was Terrence, Terrence Howard. Howard. Yeah, I remember. <laughs> the was new. They were doing that for no <laughs> reason but the check.
1: <laughs> I feel that one. I feel that one. Why well, can't I think of any? I mean, all of Beyoncé's performances, she performs like the rent is due every time she's up on stage. Honestly, that is a her whole that is a performance, that rent was due. Mm-hmm. Honestly, the mortgage
0: on the house, babes. That yes, I'm thinking also of that one where Rihanna. <laughs> okay, actually, first of all, though, Rihanna's um, VMA performance. I think in 2016 when she did those four different songs in the four different looks. Like, first of all, I've never seen a celebrity take up that much showtime for one award show. Like, mm-hmm. she had, like, four different sets. And remember, she she performed work. She performed, it was just, like, dope. And there was that one part where it was, like, the reggae scene. And it was, like, a party behind her. But then there was the pink look. Do you remember what I'm talking about? talking about? Yes. Yeah, I think that was, performance. like, the rent was due. Yeah. That was it. I mean, Chloe and Hallie during these tennis court performances—like they had no audience to feed off of—but they were still making their check out of this album rollout. Oh, actually, do you know Rihanna's performance of "Love on the Brain"? Yes, in that green dress. Yes. Yep. Give, that's my choice right there. That rent was due. Yep. That's that's a good one. That's a great one. Also, Doja
1: Cat has a lot of rent was like rent due performances. That one where she's like walking. I was like, what? She was like singing. Also, I know we don't have this on the Reader room, but you, ha- you haven't seen
0: the music video
1: for the 34 plus. No, 34. I haven't. Okay, I haven't seen that either.
0: I thought you. I was gonna ask you how it went. No, I. I've heard. I haven't even heard the song, the original or the remix. So.
1: Oh really? <laughs> yeah. I kind of like the remix. Megan Doja Cat, I think, are cute. We'll see. I'll watch it right after this. The so pictures we'll
0: from like the that. video look cute, and like the snippets I saw look cute. So that's all I can say. It's fine. <laughs> Fair enough. Okay, but in the vein of today's episode about families and upbringing. We thought we would end the Read the Room with just some of our favorite black television families or our favorite black celebrity families, whether they're healthy examples or toxic examples we can discuss, but would love to hear from you.
1: I think my favorite one is the Wade's family. Love that. Just the way, yeah. Yes. I don't even need to get into it. They, you know, Wade family. I think on TV. Have you ever seen my wife and kids? Yeah, girl. Yes. I don't know. I was insecure, so. Yeah. No, I like I like my wife and kids. I always like
0: that family a lot. That's a good one. I'm trying to think. Um. Well, okay, I'll go with the somewhat healthy but also sometimes toxic example. I bring I brought up the show in the past like four episodes because it's what I'm watching right now. But Queen Sugar, and in the episode I just watched, it was like basically, long story short, the son gets into Harvard, but the mom, like, is so happy because this is her dream for her kid, and, like, she had been kind of setting him up his whole life to get into Harvard, and then he rescinded his acceptance without her knowing and told her in the middle of his, like, graduation party, and she was so tight. She was like, how dare you? And he was like, I don't want to go to Harvard. Like, I don't want to be that removed from my community. I don't want to be there, and she was just like... I did this for you. You had a chance that was being offered to you. How dare you! And then it was just so toxic. So that's a toxic example. But otherwise, they're still cute family.
1: <laughs> oh, I don't like that. But yeah, I feel that. I feel that.
0: I guess in terms of a healthier, like more well-rounded example, is hmm.
1: Black is a good family. I don't ever really watch that show.
0: I mean, yeah. We um, don't really acknowledge that. <laughs> uh, Anywho, I don't really like that one. It's not a bad, like, they're cute. They're cute. I like that the grandparents are like, they live with them, I think. Or at least they used to when I was watching it in the first season. <laughs> but that's cute. Um, hmm. I mean, we can't talk about Black family TV's shows without talking about the Cosby show. As much as we don't like
1: Cosby. Okay, but team, I've never seen the Gatsby
0: show. Really? Well, that's okay. Like, that's okay. It was kind of before us. I don't even know why I've seen it. But it kind of was a pivotal in how Black families can be represented on TV. Like, the mom and the dad were successful. Like, it was, like, a loving family. They liked each other. It was productive. But we could also talk about good times. But you might not have seen that either. But I think there have been Black families on TV, in short, that are great but other ones that are just really poor representations and kind of destructive. Like, I feel like every family Tyler Perry puts out is a mess. We don't get <laughs> that.
1: Have you seen, was French, I feel like Fresh Prince isn't a bad example of Yeah,
0: a, like, Fresh Prince is, is a good example. example. I mean, disregarding <laughs> the fact that he got, like, sent away by his mama. <laughs> yeah.
1: I mean, not that part, but everything else. <laughs> Did you ever watch um, Family Matters?
0: Not really, to be honest. That's the one with Steve Urkel. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't watch that. I can't name a single other character.
1: (laughs) I watched that one. What about? That's a Raven.
0: Raven Raven's family was healthy as hell. We're a healthy family. That was all her interests. Like, mm, I loved it. That was good.
1: I'm thinking because I was about to. Now that I'm thinking more about it, the. Black family and, like, animated shows that I'm thinking of is, like, the proud family. And now I'm remembering that tweet that was, like, that's literally the makeup of what, like, uh, all Black families look like in terms of, like, the dark skin father and then, like, the light-skinned, like, wife and daughter or whatever. And I'm, like, my wife and kids follows that exact same pattern, uh-huh. too. And I'm sure there's a bunch of other shows as well. I'm, like...
0: It is true. And also the swapping out um, of the dark-skinned women. In- that's we fair. Class- of them whether it's we talked about this but and viv claire and my wife and kids like Mm -hmm. that's the issue yeah but yeah i just thought about that just now
1: i was like wow why do all these black families look the same
0: in terms of the makeup a mess just a mess but anyways (laughs) (laughs) okay as a first little sort of fun lighthearted way to start this conversation about family dynamics we thought we would have the little debate that has long been had among black people with families about whether or not we will whoop our own children if we have children and what our thoughts are on using violence, I guess, (laughs) as a way to discipline your child.
1: (laughs) I don't know. I got my fair share of whoopings in my day. Let me tell you. There's a point. Well, I was, I was just a little bit of an asshole as a kid. I'm not going to lie. Like I was very much just smart mouth. I thought I was, you know, very sassy as they would call it, very like quick-witted, so I would get in trouble for that a lot. I would also like lose things very often, so I would get whooped for that too. I don't know, I think, I'm just trying to reflect on my childhood and see if a whoop whooping like ever taught me anything, uh-huh. and I don't think so. Like it was, there was to a point where I was getting like whooped so often that I was just like, all right, just get it over with, let right, go. Right. <laughs> hey like you will whoop me and it'll hurt for like 10 minutes and then i will just go and like take a shower and then i'll be fine and then i'll go to bed that's what i'm saying so i think i don't think so honestly i don't think i'm gonna be whooping them maybe like tiny little like spankings on the hands i think communication is so important and i think because i didn't grow up in a house like a lot of like communication Mm -hmm. then maybe i would like to implement that um I don't think whooping really did anything for me, so I don't, I don't think they're, yeah. I wasn't even scared of them anymore, I was just
0: like, so what, do it, and then that's it. Uh, that's interesting, I definitely wasn't whooped as much as I feel like my peers were, I feel like my mom whooped me a few times, my dad whooped me like once, and my mom always jokingly tells the story of like, we both were crying about it. <laughs> my dad whooped me and he's like, I don't know what I just did. <laughs>
1: but But I I think my my dad would be once too one time I deserved it I deserved that
0: yeah I don't think I'm gonna do that I just really I don't think it's gonna happen I feel like I would feel way too bad and like be so scared like how hard do you do that you don't even know how this feels on the other end really like I just I don't think it'll happen with me I don't think I'll be whipping my child no I (laughs) I guess I know I just even if they do something crazy like I want to make you feel bad but I could do the with words
1: <laughs> <laughs> feel like I'm disappointed in you and like so, sorry. <laughs> so I don't know yeah because I'm like also do something that that's that crazy then that short type of short term punishment isn't gonna do mm-hmm. and like if they're doing something that's that wild there's a bigger issue at hand that you need to sit down and talk about send that kid to counseling For real don't just hit them and call it a day. Literally. They're going to
0: resent you and still not understand what the issue is. Exactly. Like, and I'm thinking about it, like, I really can't recall a specific time that I was whooped, but, like, I can recall my mom telling me that she was disappointed. That that was hurt. That one hurt all the time.
1: <laughs> so, I don't know.
0: I feel like, yeah, no, won't be whooping the child. But anyways, on to the... Wait but, wait, but on the
1: topic of punishment, what do you think was the worst punishment? Like, was, like, being told that they were disappointed in you, like, the punishment that hit the most?
0: It was that and it was also like <laughs> I had a tendency when I was little and I, I don't even know what I would do but like sometimes I would I would always want to just like cry in front of my mom and like complain about it to her or like want her to console me and I remember she, sometimes I was so annoying that she would lock her bedroom door and be like no like you need to go sit over here alone. And that would hurt. <laughs> that one really was like, dang. I what, that was dang, yeah. <laughs> so it would just be me crying outside the bedroom door. And then once I got quiet, maybe she would, like, speak to me.
1: <laughs> I'm dead. No, that was not. I think my worst, I just used to hate getting my phone taken away. I'm like, listen, I'm popping up on Instagram right now. You can't be taking this away from me. I got to talk to the homies. That was it. No. <laughs> Anywho, getting into our topic of the day... We're gonna get a little bit personal about, you know, our growing up, what that was like for us. Um, just our little childhood memories, a little bit of nostalgia, but also just a little bit of talking about some of the tough things. And also we maybe we should start by like framing our family situations are yeah. a bit different in that McKean's an only child. Um, I have a younger brother. I also have an older sister, but we didn't really grow up in the same household as much. Mm-hmm. So it's a little bit different, but also your parents, are not together yeah my parents are divorced
0: and your parents are together. (laughs) like (laughs) we.
1: but so um in terms of family makeups that's kind of what we like grew up in and i think that'll come into play a little bit later especially thinking about like sibling relationships being an only child i think does play into Um, stuff a little bit but my first thing that i wanted to talk about was like what it was like to be the eldest daughter in that household. And I know I see tweets about this Mm -hmm. like all the time, especially there was one that we talked about in like the toxic traits episode of like, you know, are you, is your love language really acts of service or were you just like the oldest daughter in like a black household and you had to do everything for yourself? And I'm like, ooh, oh, yikes. But I think my whole thing of like being the oldest daughter was just being held to this high standard that my brother was Mm -hmm. never held to ever at all like my mom especially was always really really hard on me like getting disappointed in me for an a minus hard on me which just kind of resulted in like me becoming a workaholic which we'll Mm -hmm. talk about later and how that like plays into our adult lives but that was just always really really tough for me just having to like push myself all the time having to like you know reach up to this standard i guess didn't feel like it was attainable And then now I'm watching my younger brother get away with literally anything and everything. And like, I know it's a whole thing of like, sure, like boys will be boys, blah, 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 blah. But I'm like, also at the same time, like, no, like I, even in terms of like strictness, like I grew up with really very, very, very strict parents. I don't know actually how strict were your parents growing up before I go into my spiel.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Honestly, my parents were, I don't know if, strict is the right word like I didn't get whooped a lot I didn't really get like we talked (laughs) like my mom was definitely a conversation heavy like let's resolve this and talk about it um but I'm trying to think I don't think I really was like my mom had her rules like that I perhaps were strict like about technology use and phone use when I was younger or like you know not letting me sleep over certain people's houses but i'm realizing with age that that was less of a strict thing and more of just like a safety thing because maybe these people were crazy and like i probably shouldn't have been on snapchat in middle school (laughs) or like those types of things so i don't know my parents weren't that strict. i will i can say that
1: i think yeah i think my parents were strict And I feel like mm, it's hard because I think I get what you're saying about like not being able to like stay over people's houses and like restricting like phone use and stuff like that. I'm like, sure, that probably helped me to be like a bit more productive. But like they were very much like they went OD with it. I don't know how else to explain it. Like it was to the point where like I couldn't have my phone during the weekdays or like the Wi-Fi in my house would shut off at 10 p.m. So I oh, no. I couldn't use Wi-Fi after that, and I'm like, I get what you're trying to do, but also this is feeling very dictatorial. Like this isn't right. cute anymore.
0: Did they tell you like why? Did they oh. talk to you about
1: why they made certain decisions? And that no, and that's what I was going to get into next is that I
0: we were not a
1: communication household whatsoever. It was very much a whooping and learn your own lesson type of household. Um, yeah, we did not communicate. We did not. Um, resolve issues in any way and I think that was like a big thing in terms of like conflict in the house mm-hmm. but I thinking about like how they're strict like them being strict and also not telling me the reason behind it just made me find ways to get around it or find ways like they had the wi-fi turn off at 10 p.m so what I would do is I would like have them do it on, but So basically, there was a password that they would put in if I had to do homework after that time. Oh, wow. So I would just, on my computer, go on Google Chrome and then save the password so that I could put it in after that. Or I w- would go like buy phone data. So when the Wi-Fi shut off, I would just have to use the data after that time. And I was just like you're not stopping me from doing anything. You're just making it harder for you to do the things that I'm going to do anyway. Yeah. Especially mm-hmm. if you're not explaining to me why I shouldn't be doing these things or even just giving me the leeway to like make my own decisions. It just made me just like sneakier or whatever. So I would still do it. Mm-hmm. And I would prefer it honestly to be able to communicate with them about this stuff. so
0: that, yeah. mm-hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. I feel like, I noticed that with my friends with strict parents and it was i mean from the perspective of a of the friend that like had friends with strict parents it was annoying for me too because it was just like shoot you're i can see that your child wants to do something that is literally not risky by any means like just wants to live their life and like they're just going to grow to resent you like i constantly found myself if If I didn't, if I wasn't taught to respect adults in certain ways, like I'm one of my best friends, I would have been told her parents like, Mm -hmm. y'all need to chill. Like this is crazy, and like now you know she's gonna grow up into the world with like such weird Mm -hmm. ideas about like what she shouldn't do and like how to make decisions for herself and like almost incapable. I've definitely noticed, so it's upsetting. Like, and I'm glad. I feel like the two the two lanes that I've seen people go are either like with strict parents, I should say, like like your case, in terms of like learning how to sneak around it and like learning how to circumvent whatever rules were put in place. But the other side of it is kind of like someone who does not know how to make decisions for themselves. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's so sad. Like if you're, your role as a parent is to only teach that person how to be able to make decisions for themselves. So like, who do you think is going to be gained? Oh, so yeah.
1: Yeah. Mm. I think on the topic of like communication as well, I think something that I struggled with as well, and I mean, you seem to have had a healthier household than I did, but something that always would upset me and I see it reflect a lot in my relationships now and like especially in terms of conflict resolution, the fact that my parents would not apologize to me ever. Mm. And it would always be a situation where someone would like hurt my feelings or even like if there was a situation where I got in trouble for something that I didn't do. Like, if I got a whooping for, like, I don't know, like, losing something, and I'm like, it's not lost, and they didn't believe me, and I got whooped anyway, like, they wouldn't apologize after the fact to be like, oh, sorry, I was wrong, or something like that. Like, never admitting their fault, but also just using the fact that, you know, they're my parents to be like, I can do whatever I want to you, And I'm, like, kind of demanding respect from me without giving me any respect. And even now, at my big age, which is not, like, that big, but, like, I'm 19, I'm technically an adult. And even still, it's just a situation where, you know, it's like, don't talk to me this way. Like, I won't be, I'll just, you know, be defending myself. And it's like, how dare you, you know, talk back to me or how dare you defend yourself in this way when it's just like, you're telling me to respect you because you're my parent. But I'm like, also, I'm a human being, like, treat me accordingly. You know what I mean? Yeah, That was just like something that I really, really struggled with in terms of my Mm -hmm. household. And just, you know, not being able to communicate or talk. Like, I think one of the saddest things for me, and I think about this all the time, it's like especially in a relationship like with your mother, I think a lot of young girls, or at least me, I don't want to speak generally for everyone, but I really envied my friends who were close with their moms. I had like some of my closest friends were like best friends with their mom. So like if something went wrong in their life, like their mom would be the first person that they would go to for advice. You know, the mom would be you know, there to support them and they felt comfortable talking to their parents about any and everything, especially as we got older and th- there was things with, like, you know, relationships, or so, like, wanting advice about things like, you know, safe sex and things like that. Or, like, when you got your period and stuff, like, I didn't get those conversations. I didn't mm-hmm. get, you know, feel comfortable having that type of rapport with my mother. It was always just very, yeah. Much, like, Miracles. yeah. It was always, she never, like, came down to my, not down to my level, but, like, never thought to speak to me as an actual person. There was always just, like, a rift there, or a gap that we never fully filled. So, like, when I had a problem, never once crossed my mind to go and talk to her about it. And even now that I'm older, I find that that's something that really makes me sad a lot of the time. Yeah. I don't know how deep I want to go into this, but, yeah, that's... It's not,
0: do you Do you think that, like, I'm just curious, like, what is your re- mom's relationship with her mom? Do you think it's the same? Yeah,
1: and I think that's that's another thing in and of itself in that I try so hard to give my mom a leeway in these ways because I, cause my grandma mm-hmm. lives with us now, and in being able to oh. observe the two of them together, I can tell that so much of this is just learned behavior. I can tell that yeah. my mom didn't feel the need to build a close Like friendship with me as her daughter because I don't think that she had that growing up because she was also the eldest daughter in her household, so she had to like take on a lot of responsibility at a young age. So I think she expects the same of me, and I think, but I think in that doesn't come wanting to be. Yeah, you know, I just I didn't also just didn't grow up in a very affectionate household, and I don't really know how else to put that into words. But I think that also you know, plays into whether or not you feel like you're able to like communicate or like talk about things. That's real. So,
0: no, I yeah. the part about seeing your, like with your grandmother being in your house, I can only imagine that. Cause I'm remembering like last summer, my cousin got married. So, and he got married in Barbados. So it was like my whole mom's side of my family back in Barbados. My grandma is the only one that still lives there. So it was like a bunch of us in her house. And I was just like watching how the women in my family interact. Like it was my great grandma, her sister, my grandma, her sister, my mom, me, like all these other aunties and like women who might or might not be related. And it was just terrible. Like I and I kind of understood why my mom, like, though I know that I've come grown up knowing that side of my family, and I would say relatively close with them. She like grew up living with them and she never wanted that to be the case for me because she knew how restricting it was. And like, I was just, I never completely understood like why she wanted that boundary in place with me and that side of my family a little bit. But like in watching the was convers- I can't even call it conversations. Like it was just so toxic for no reason. Like it was just bickering for no reason, like finding ways to just jab, but like forgetting that we're on the same team inevitably because we're the same family. So it just—it was just, you know, it was it was mean. I don't know how else to describe it, it was mean. And it was just like, I just don't know. I don't even know if they, like, as I was watching them, I was just like, I don't even know if they know why they're doing this. Like there is no intention and there is no reason. It's just, they do it because it's what they've come to know how to do. And like, as someone who was both like the relatively the child in that context, and also like was raised a little bit differently, i was just watching how like at every point you could see exactly why something blew up for absolutely no reason at all and you could see like it was just almost as if people were talking past each other it was just really profound to me and i was just like this is terrible nobody should live like this like i kind of just wanted to shake all of them and just be like bruh remember that's your daughter that's your mom like huh like (laughs) like please please like look at what you're doing right now and like why you wouldn't let anyone outside of our family talk to each other this way so like why would you want to do that it just yeah so i can i can only imagine like i i kind of came to understand why my mom was so like even though she grew up in that household like and still made sure that i knew them was still very intentional about like Making sure I only knew them to a a certain extent. Like, I wasn't raised by them necessarily because I would probably be that bitter too.
1: Yeah, I think about that all the time. Mm. It's just, like, watching my mom and her mom interact. And I can see so much of, like, what I grew up with in the way that, like, my mom will talk to her mom or, like, her mom will talk to her. And then I just think about it in the context of me. And I'm just, like, if my mom turned out that way because of who she was raised by, does that mean that I'm going to turn out this way? And I'm like, does that mean that I'm just like actively fighting against that? But I think it's kind of what you we're talking about, like with your mom, and that you know, being raised in that household and seeing what's wrong with it, kind of gives you the power, or like at least to know exactly what you don't want to implement in relationship yeah. and into your, you know,
0: you know what I mean, like when you have your own kids. No, that's
1: real.
0: I was talking to my dad about this actually, as we were like, as I was thinking about this episode and he brought up that, like, my grandma did the same thing, so I don't think you're, I don't think you're necessarily, like, I don't think it's a definite thing that you're going to recreate the environment that you grew up in. For I think we have that agency, and and with some self-reflection, are able to create households that are what we wanted our own to be, whatever that might mean. Like, my grandma, his, his mom, uh, I don't know much about her side of the family at all. Like, he doesn't even know much he's like we i met them a couple times growing up and my grandma was like they lived only not even an hour away like she was very intentional about like i'm not taking y'all to see them like every year type of shit. like you could see them a couple times you can know where you came from but like i moved out at 16 for a reason and like the thing is she was so intentional about again i think in a similar way to what my mom did about like i just i know what was done to me by that environment I know the ways in which I felt so restricted I'm speaking from her perspective like I know the ways in which I felt limited and restricted and unable to be myself and I don't want that for my kids so how can I create an environment completely separate from it and I think in some ways in her her mind it was like almost not interacting with it at all like not introducing their kids to their grandparents like not Introducing her kids to her siblings and stuff like that, which maybe was right and maybe was wrong, but like, I, I think people have done it time and time again to think about what do they want, like how can they make real the 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 environment and the life that they wanted as themselves as children, and I think it's possible. Like I don't think you should feel burdened by, or or even expect in advance that you will inevitably be like your mom in that way or you know, be like your grandma in that way. And I think, you know, the fact that we're even having this conversation now is reflective of the fact that you won't. I think
1: kind of before we go on, because we're kind of delving into like what the latter end of this conversation would be, but thinking about um, if there's anything else that we want to talk to in terms of our own relationships, how about for anyone who's listening who might also be an only child or might, who also might have had parents that went through a divorce? I think that's something that we don't really talk about. Enough.
0: and I would love to hear like your insight on what that was like for you. yeah I mean being an only child my mom is also an only child it's interesting and I feel like when I was super little I really wanted a sibling and like all of my friends had older siblings or younger siblings and I thought that was so cool but I think I quickly learned how to find sibling-like relationships in my between my friends and my cousins and also like for that reason, I think I was a little bit forced to become friends with my parents in a way that like, they might feel guilty if I wasn't. You know what I mean? Like, You guys kind of have to play with me. You didn't give me anybody else to play with. <laughs> so I think that was part of it. But um, in terms of my parents getting divorced, so my parents got divorced when I was in my sophomore year of high school. And it was tough. And I, you know, I think that was the time, the only time really when I was older that I thought about having a sibling again. Because I was just like, imagine how nice it would be if someone was in the exact same position as you and you weren't like alone and trying to decide like which house you're going to stay in for X amount of time or like where you're going to live or like who you're going to spend your breaks with or whatever. Like that was definitely difficult. And I'm sure it's still difficult whether or not you have a sibling, but it was hard. But I mean, I think the only thing that made it easy was that. I never really felt like decisions were just being made around me and for me necessarily. Even if that, even if, and when that was the case, like I appreciate that my parents always kind of just kept me in the loop, like told me why things were happening, told me like as much as they could, like, I still don't really know their business per se, but like told me, like, it's not that we don't love each other, that we're not, that we're getting a divorce. Like, it's just like, we will be happier separately and sort of knowing that, that's possible in relationships and sort of seeing them model it regardless of whatever feelings they might've had, you know, that they were hiding from me. But like, I guess just knowing that you can still proceed with love, just regardless of the decisions you make in your relationships was helpful and made it easier to navigate as confusing and like as uncertain as something like divorce was. Um, But man, yeah, I think, I think at that time also and I guess during quarantine specifically I've learned how to not only like be I don't want to say be friends with my parents because they're still my parents at the end of the day but like learning how to like sort of starting to imagine what my relationship will be like with them when we're both adults and like my dad says this all the time but he was just like you know the only wish you should have as a parent is that like you raise them right But, like, for most of your lifetime and their lifetime, you'll have to learn to exist as friends as adults if you're lucky. And I think he was, like, he was telling me that, like, that's something that he doesn't necessarily know that his dad knew or showed or modeled for him. Like, it was always sort of, like, I'm the father, you are the son. Like, this is the boundary. But my grandma was definitely intentional. Like, she's best friends with all of her basically all her eight kids and like she can kiki with her grandkids and like it feels even though there's still that power dynamic because of age and because of family roles, like it still feels familiar and like healthy and they still feel seen and so i feel like i'm learning that with my parents now about like how to you know especially also with them being separated like how can we all be friends how like now that i'm entering adulthood and i still need y'all right now but as i need you guys less how will i choose you and like how will i choose for our relationship to look like as i get older so that's it's interesting it's an interesting time for okay. sure i
1: haven't even thought about that how honestly for my life i'll probably spend more time yeah being adult friends with and also the idea mm-hmm. of how to choose like how much time because i think that's what is happening right now in my current relationship with my parents and i didn't have a way to put it into words other than that but that's really interesting yeah i don't think that mm-hmm. my my parents are very well aware of that one but
0: maybe the time i don't know you might have also like i don't think learning is or parenting is learning from one direction like it's not you're it's not your job to parent your parents first of all and that should never be a burden for you but you might have to model for her like this is how you can show up for me in the best way for me and i want to be able to do that for you too and i think you know it might be through asking her it might be through sort of making those attempts but it also might be her realizing when maybe she's pushed you too far and like she needs to sit down with herself and think about how she can be different i don't know it's tough. Who knows? We'll see. But I, I don't know. It's tough. And I, I've heard i talked with this about my with my friends, too, who aren't really close with their parents or have never had even borderline friendly relationships with them. And I can I can only imagine how frustrating that is, because of course you want that. And like, of course, I remember <laughs> jokingly when I was little, there was this girl in my kindergarten class. She was like, my mommy is my best friend. And I was like, Hold on. So I went home and I was I was sent to my mom. I was like, "Mom, can we be best friends?" And my mom was like, "No, I'm your mom, not your friend." And I was like, "Huh?" And I literally I hung on to that for years because she just wanted when I was little to make sure that I wasn't twisted. But she she jokingly was like, "Fine, we can be friends from," I think she said from eight to nine p.m. Knowing that my bedtime was eight, disrespectful. She still talks about it, but like, sorry, that was a little caveat joke. But I still think it's. I think it's possible i just don't know how it would happen but i know it can and i I think maybe she just does not know and like that's that doesn't absolve her of whatever she's done and however she's made you feel but you know how and she's gonna have to learn that from either watching you or from you telling her or watching other people it's gonna be something but she's gonna have to learn because she's gonna want you in your her, her life and she's going to realize she can't have that hold on you to keep her, you in her life. And I think maybe if we understand strictness, hopefully in that way, like she'll come around. That's what I hope for you.
1: <laughs> well, I hope too, we'll see how it goes. But I think kind of what we were talking about towards the beginning of this conversation is that like all the things that we've talked about just now, whether that's like the strictness of our parents, learning conflict resolution, communication, all of that shows up in who we are now as adults and how we navigate the world as adults. And I think the lasting impact of our familial relationships is just really, really interesting because they just find so much about who we are in the future, whether that's our fears, our insecurities, our attachment styles, relationships. I also saw something about how, it can be tied to your love languages as well, especially thinking about people who didn't grow up in very, very affectionate households. I think it's cool and interesting how it can possibly go either way, where it's like, if you didn't grow up with a lot of physical affection, then it can make you very uncomfortable around physical affection, but then it can also make you want to look for that in other relationships because you didn't have that growing up. So there's so much there to unpack in terms of how that is how we carry on in our relationships. And there was something that McKean and I saw earlier today, actually on Twitter that we thought would be great to include in the episode. And they called it inner child wounds. I don't know exactly what that means in like a psychological context, but basically just broke it down into these four different types of, I guess, childhood trauma or childhood um, issues, I guess, and how that manifests in adult relationships. And we thought that was interesting just in case there was something that anyone could relate to. Because I was, in writing these down, I was like, I feel some of these or a lot of these. So the first one was the guilt wound. And this one was really interesting. And basically the way that they define this is that it's someone who feels sorry or bad often. They don't really like to ask for things from other people. They use guilt to manipulate. They're afraid to set boundaries. And they normally tend to attract people who make them feel guilty. So I guess that's when you were in a relationship when you were younger or in your childhood where you were made to feel guilty a lot. And that's how it manifests. Yeah. Interesting. making can you want to do
0: the next one? Okay. The second one was an abandonment wound. And basically, this is someone who might feel left out a lot. They fear being left out. They don't like being alone. They're codependent. Um, they often sort of threaten to leave as a way to manipulate relationships. And they also normally attract emotionally unavailable mm-hmm. people. Very much so.
1: This trust wound was really interesting to me because this one, I feel like i've seen in a lot of people and i just didn't really have a word for it a way to describe it but this is like the people who are like very much afraid of being hurt often don't even trust themselves and they find different ways to not trust people and they tend to feel a lot more insecure because of it and they need a lot of external validation and they don't tend to feel very safe in their relationships and then they normally attract people who also don't feel safe which. So mm-hmm. interesting, and how I don't know. I find all of this psychology really interesting, but you can read
0: the last one. Yeah. yeah, the final one was the neglect wound. And basically, this is someone who struggles to let things go. They don't have much self confidence or self worth or acknowledgement of self worth. They get angry easily, struggle to say no, tend to repress their different emotions that come up. And, like, kind of, that's all kind of encapsulated by just a general fear of being vulnerable with other people or even maybe with themselves and they normally attract people who don't appreciate them or make them feel less seen which is so it's so interesting how we I think the element that was most fascinating to me about all of these is that that attraction part and like the people you attract and how whether it's it's normally not conscious so how we can so often subconsciously attract people that make that only validate our worst views of ourselves is crazy and then because we have that view of ourselves already we might then in turn justify whatever they're making us feel and it's just like terrible and
1: and I was even thinking about the manipulation ones or like the way that you I guess weaponize these things was very interesting to me especially with the guilt wound like using guilt to manipulate people because you were made to feel guilty and how you like flip that around but also you're so familiar with guilt So you've learned kind of in the ways that other people have made you feel guilty. You've learned how to do that to other people. Or even the abandonment one. Like, I guess the value that you place on a relationship is the security. So because of that, threatening to leave is like the ultimate way that you can manipulate because that, you know, threatens that, like, security and that, you know, that boundary of, you know, abandonment. This is really, really interesting. But I feel like that was a really good way to, like, break, down and like put into context a lot of these things do you feel like any of them stood out to you as things that you think might be any of your wounds do you think you have any wounds
0: I mean definitely I don't know if I know the full extent of them um okay I'm just looking through them again I feel like maybe the abandonment one I don't know if that's necessarily I don't think I was abandoned per se but I think maybe that's just part of being an only child and like feeling like you're being left out of things um but I mean, like to an extent, I can definitely feel that like fear of being left or left out type of thing or being codependent, I guess, but I don't necessarily like I've definitely learned how to exist alone. Like that's also the flip side of being an only child. So I think that was the one that felt closest to perhaps like whatever wound I might have. But I think there were elements of all of these that yeah. kind of were like,, mm, we're like, oh, well not. <laughs> how about you? Oh, definitely the
1: abandonment one. <laughs> Are you kidding? My therapist and I talked about that last week. Yeah. <laughs> Me, yeah. Um, I think a lot of that comes from just, I guess, yeah, feeling left out and not being able to communicate and being in a household. I think it's interesting in terms of the fact that you grew up as an only child and you had people to talk to within your household versus I just had so many people who were available to be in my household, but I wasn't able to speak to them. And that made me feel really lonely and left out so because of that yeah definitely that abandonment one that one fear of abandonment fear of being left yeah i think that's what manifested me the most but i think in like preparing for this episode i was doing a lot of like psychological research because i also just think that all of that is just so interesting and one of the things that was cool to me was understanding I guess how if one of your parents, and that's your mother or your, i was just going to use heteronormativity in this context. But if you know your mother or father, how that you know plays. If one of them can have more of an impact on you than the other one, or if that impact is different. And I think one of the quotes from one of the psychologists I saw was that the parent that you have of your same sex, that would be our mothers in this case, kind of serve as a model for our own behavior versus opposite-sex parents whose our fathers are projected onto maybe potential partners. Again, heteronormativity. i context. just kidding. <laughs> you said a little Freud action here. I <laughs> uh, It's giving Freud. Very much giving Freud. But it's just so interesting. Yeah, and they said that it also works in reverse in the sense that we may search for the opposite of a father who was stoic and uninvolved. So, like, if... Basically what I was saying earlier about how it can work both ways as a conservative like a model of what we want in a partner or what we didn't get in that partner. It's giving very much daddy issues as well here. But I think only I also think daddy and mommy issues are really interesting. Yeah.
0: Well. No, for sure. I think that's that's interesting. It's something to think about. But okay. I, I think that makes sense to me. I feel like I learned I've watched my mom a little bit more in how like she speaks to people and how she navigates things and how she makes decisions even I think perhaps more attentively than my dad mm-hmm. but perhaps it's an energy thing like my dad is definitely just like a chill whatever okay. I don't like yeah. just cruising but not to say that there's not something to learn there too or pay attention to but I don't know I think this seems accurate to me do you think it's just even exactly that's accurate but I think
1: I don't know if I necessarily... I think I definitely observed my mom more. I don't know if I necessarily wanted to model myself after her. I think that's the part where I'm like, possibly not. I think the last thing of, like, searching first, like, the opposite, I think Mm -hmm. in some ways I found myself trying to model the opposite Mm -hmm. in the things that I didn't enjoy in that experience. Yeah. That was really interesting. And also another conversation I was having with my friend... Yeah, one of this weekend I think is about how our parents' relationship impo- like impacts how we view romantic relationships, like their marriage. And I think that is really, really interesting because she was talking about a situation where she had where you know there was dishonesty in her parents' relationship, or it didn't work out, or whatever, and that really tainted her view of love. And from then, she was just like, well, like, if my dad sucks, then, like, all men must suck type of thing. Or, like, mm-hmm. if my parents' marriage that I thought was so healthy and amazing can't work, then, like, how is there any, you know, hope for anyone else? Yeah. And I just think that that is really interesting, especially maybe in the context of people who also their parents get divorced. Yeah. And if that clouds their view of relationships mm-hmm. because her response to that was just, like, shut herself off emotionally completely. But like, she was just, okay, if that's not going to work, Great. then, like, I, there's no hope for me I'm just not gonna let myself get emotionally involved with anyone
0: yeah that's interesting I feel like when my parents first got divorced I felt that way like I was just like dang so nobody's gonna stay married now like marriage is fake like marriage can never work type of thing but I don't I don't know why I don't really feel that way anymore like I don't I think Hmm. it's tough it's tough because I, I don't necessarily think that like love can't happen. I think perhaps it's definitely made me think a little bit about like the longevity of love and the concept of like a forever partner. And like, I don't think that if things don't last forever, that doesn't mean they weren't real, but also like trying to reckon with and like sort of using other people's parents, frankly, as a model for like what I think is good. But also I've definitely been forced to in looking at other people's parents' relationships, like after my parents got divorced, like I think I've reflected a little bit or a lot of it on how some of my parents, my friend's parents, they might've been married for 30 plus years, but like, that's not a relationship I want either. And like, you know, watching their dynamics and seeing how there's no balance in a lot of them and how like, you know, think of one of my friends, but like how her dad makes all of the decisions, like th- that type of stuff is also not something I want. So I kind of in looking at both and realizing like love and your relationship is whatever you want it to be. And ultimately, like it might last, it might not, but you do what you can to make it last, I guess. And ultimately any marriage or relationship that I get into one day doesn't have to look like any of these. And I can take that the parts of the the ones that I admire. And also keep in mind the ones that I don't, I guess. But I mean, who knows until I get there? We'll see. If we can check in. <laughs>
1: yeah, it definitely doesn't. I think what I've learned is it doesn't have to be a catch-all type of thing. I think this of the like psychological research that I did, it makes sense in theory. Mm. I don't think it applies to me. I don't think I ever felt any desire to model a relationship after my parents' relationship or just said I don't think I just I think I had the opposite be true of like looking for things that I would want to change or possibly not have in my other relationships I guess maybe in that way um it's still influential in the way that I view romantic relationships but even then I don't think that I think you know if my parents marriage like if they ended up getting divorced I don't think that would cloud me to be like love doesn't exist or whatever I just don't think that, that would apply to me. But again, ever the optimist, ever the hopeless mm-hmm. romantic. I'm like, someone right. out there has to be in love. So, but yeah, especially when I think communication and like conflict resolution though, and like observing conflict and vulnerability and emotions that way, I think it's definitely true that that's your first really introduction to seeing how romantic relationships work. It, yeah, It is influential in any way that it does happen to be influential. But I don't think it has to be, like,
0: the end-all, y'all. Yeah. No, I agree. That's And it is interesting. I feel like the conflict resolution part, I definitely think, for me, is true. Like, like you said, that is the first time you see, and however much you do see of it as a child, but, like, how do your parents sort of... How do they argue? Is arguing healthy? Like, how do they navigate those? How do they choose... And how do they make sure that both of their interests are included in whatever the family dynamic is like how do they establish a dynamic that might have differed from like i think all of those things whether or not i was actually studying them or like just kind of picking up on them over time or something i'm going to have to think about inevitably if and when i start to marry somebody or like have a family of my own like that's all always gonna i feel like it's all gonna come to the forefront and i'll have a different perspective on it then
1: but i think with that idea as kind of a last thing to touch on i think what you said was a good segue and that you know eventually we are maybe going to get married we are maybe going to start families of our own we are going to be in even like different you know friendships or like adult relationships or whatever and we have to be cognizant of the impact or the ways that our parents' relationships or our relationships with our parents are going to manifest in those relationships. And I think Mm -hmm. one of the most important things that we kind of talked about a little bit, again, with the context of like your grandma and your mom, but like, how do you break those habits? How do you break those cycles that you saw in your childhood and then change, you know, build the most healthy relationships you can for your future? And I think for me, I think a big part of that is self-awareness and being able to recognize you know, the patterns of communication or thoughts or feelings and knowing where they come from, if they are, you know, feelings that are your own, if that's learned behavior. This idea you you hear, you know, like a voice in the back of your head, like, you know, saying um, something or telling you how to navigate in that relation, I guess, identifying if that's your own voice or if that's the parent's voice um, kind of telling you what to think and believe. About yeah. that situation, you know, and then, yeah, I think especially if, you know, your parents are like still around or still, you know, able to build that relationship, just being observant of how you interact with them as adults,
0: mm-hmm.
1: bringing that into your adult relationship. It just all, I think, ties down to self awareness and yeah. just introspection, I think, is the best way to do this.
0: I think the flip side, though, also. That i imagine would be helpful in a romantic relationship or otherwise is having that self-awareness one and like having it as thoroughly as you can and as sort of checking in with it as routinely as we possibly can ourselves but also making sure that we communicate those things like tell the person about the family life that you grew up in like don't act like it doesn't exist or don't act like because you're self-aware like you can just keep it in mind and like keep it pushing because. I think sometimes that context will help people to understand you more, to know how to support you more. You know what I mean? Like back to that element of like, attracting emotionally unavailable people, if you were, I forget which one that was, but like, if you were neglected or whatever it might be, um, I feel like if you, you, I mean, ultimately, if you tell your partner and they're just like, kind of trash, might not do nothing. But if you tell your partner and it's like, you're trying to build a healthy foundation it will help them to show up for you in the way that you need them to and to sort of account for whatever blind spots you might have mm-hmm. and in hopes that you can do the same for that person, because ultimately, I feel like it's one thing if we know those things for ourselves, but it's also important for the other person involved to know those things to to have a full image of you, because even if we decide that we want to do completely different from whatever we came from. Mm-hmm. It's still going to show up in certain ways. It's still going to be in our minds. It's still going to dictate, to an extent, how we navigate conflict. Like we said, how we enter conversations, how we establish boundaries, and what the things that we're afraid of. So I feel like communicating those that that trauma, quote unquote, but you know whatever experiences that might be, is important too. definitely.
1: definitely. Whew,
0: that was a lot. Yeah, that was a heavy one for as <laughs> much Yeah. One.
1: <laughs> so that was a heavier conversation today, uh, but I think it was really relevant and much needed. Just in terms of, like I said, even if you don't think that there's any, you know, family trauma, quote unquote, as we're calling it, or experiences that might have shaped how you interact in relationships, maybe just reflecting. And like the team said, it's really important to communicate that in your relationships to make sure that you're partner your friends whoever you're entering into any type of a, you know relationship with can support you in that regard and just to understand what's going on in your head and so why you are the way that you are I think it's all just so, so important and I think now more than ever at the end of this episode I think we need to talk about what is bringing us some joy right now so I gotta think though because that was not-
0: I mean this is okay I can go I think I have something kind of barely but I've definitely been on my little exercise and eating grind better as of late which has been nice and I've actually even though it's been hard and I don't really want to do it <laughs> I feel like I've definitely noticed a change in my energy levels throughout the day which has been bringing me a little joy oh
1: I know what I'll talk about okay so I I don't know how I think about this but basically as uh, some of you may know, Um in quarantine I started the EcoGal, which is just like a blog that I had going or whatever. And I think I was at like kind of a standstill with it in that I didn't really have the time to be writing blog articles anymore. And I also just felt really disconnected from the platform since it was kind of like centering like me as an individual and it was my personal blog and I just didn't want to do that anymore. I'm also tired of infographics. I hate infographics and I did not want to make them. So I wanted to like try to figure out a way to like make more like tangible change in that way. So the EcoGal actually has a rebrand. The EcoGal no longer exists. Um, it's now called the Eco Justice Project, which is really cool. Um, I also brought someone on my team is my roommate, Olivia, she was in our, I think our first religion episode. I love her. Um, so she and I are working together on it now and I feel so, so much better about it. Um, So Columbia decided to hype me up and they put me in their little, they had a list that they created of like eight activists who were doing work and they put me on like a list of like civil rights activists. And I'm like, I'm like, I'll I'll take it, I'll take it, I guess. But thank you. So Ego Justice Project is going through a lot of changes right now, but like partnering with nonprofits, figuring out ways to get donations. For like climate justice initiatives that are going on in New York and around the world I'm gonna be doing some like interviews and stuff with some really cool people so I'm very excited about all of that so we love a rebrand got a new logo new color scheme and everything I'm excited
0: for you we love you. a rebrand
1: but yeah that's all we have for you guys today thank you so so much for tuning in. And yeah, it was a little hefty episode, but you know, sometimes you gotta have the, the deep hard hitting conversations,
0: you know? I think it was much needed and I hope y'all got something out of it and are able to reflect on your own childhoods for sure. And until next Friday, until our next drop, you can keep up with us on social media, on Instagram at blackgirlblueprint and on Twitter at bgirlblueprint where you can send us any questions any topics you want to see if you have read the room segments that you think we've been ignoring like let us know mm-hmm. let us-
1: and if you like this episode let us know by subscribing to leave us a little review gonna little five stars you know you know you know and yeah that's it you guys next week see you next week bye bye